Hello, Sarah. Hi, Kim. How you doing? I'm doing well after a rainy day. The sun is shining. Yeah, we had some serious rain. Serious rain this morning. So yeah, doing well. How about yourself? You know, it has been a wild, wild week at work. It is very cool. I, I work for a creative robotics company and there's a lot of creative robotics around Halloween, which is wonderful. And I also am a person who shares everything that people has made. So the social media has been all over the place this week. Um, if you follow us, Birdbrain Technologies, we're about to post a Finch costume parade compilation video that I've been working on all day. And so I have been listening to Night on Bald Mountain for like six hours. So if you like Night on Bald Mountain or robots in cute costumes, you know where to find it. <laughs> we will we will link that. It will be past time <laughs> by this time this goes out, but we will link it regardless. Great. That's going to be super fun. <laughs> Well, I'm really excited for this episode because, as I said before we started recording, you are two of my favorite people, and I don't think you've met. And so we have Eric Bretter on as our guest today. And welcome, Eric. Yay. Hi. Thank you guys so much for having me. Oh, oh thanks yeah. for being here, Eric. I'm so excited. Yeah, this is awesome. So we're just going to get right down to it. I just want to first read something that you wrote on your website. You may or may not remember. It says, I'm a problem solver. Which website? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll get to that. I'm a problem solver, teacher, educator, student, maker, technology enthusiast, lifelong learner, creative thinker, reader, developer, and creator. Whew, that's a lot of stuff. And they're all awesome things. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself from your perspective? But you well, can't repeat any of those words. It has to be all. I'm just kidding. Yes, I, don't, I don't remember most of them. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, clearly I'm having identity crisis. But I, yeah, I I would just say I I think I'm a, I'm a learner first. I've been a teacher for the last uh, however many years since finished in 2009. I graduated undergraduate and then have been teaching since then. So yeah, uh, I think to describe myself, I would say I, yeah, I I like to learn things and um, especially what kind of drives me is like the, the building and the making side of stuff. I like figuring out how things work and kind of always have like just taking stuff apart and uh, trying to understand it and then maybe modify it, you know, put something of my own sort of flavor in, in there. And my, my range of sort of interests is like, seem to build on itself over time. Um, and then just, yeah, becoming, I, I was really lucky to, to fall into sort of this technology space um, and this engineering space for teaching, which, you know, I just get to do that and then try to translate that to kids. So basically I just cheat. I come up with like a project that I'm doing and then I'm like, oh, let's figure this out guys. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, I get to learn a lot more through, you know, troubleshooting and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I'm obsessed with tools and machines. I really love hardware, like electronics and hardware and the intersection of both of those things. And I just love teaching them. I love teaching skill-based content. So I don't know, that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm someone who starts a lot of projects and rarely finishes them. So could you tell us a little bit about that educational experience? Um, You started with middle school, right? Yeah, so I when I grad I graduated with a technology education degree. Um, I actually started as a math major, and uh, I don't want to offend anyone, but it wasn't it wasn't fitting my learning style. And I what a nice uh, way to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, He's very PC. <laughs> yeah, right. 
I mean, yeah, the people were great, but it, it, I found a group of people who were starting up a tech ed program and, um, you know, they were like, well, we kind of just do more hands-on. It's like an intersection between, you know, science, mathematics, engineering, and, and tech. And uh, they were like, we have this great woodshop class we're trying to take. I was like, oh, sign me up. Um, so <laughs> cool. I got to take like electronics courses, some engineering courses, and then all framed within education. So I came out with a pretty specialized skill set, I would say, in terms of teaching, you know, like career and technical education or technology education, engineering education, they all sort of, that's a more complicated probably topic. But yeah, I taught high school woodworking and like hand technical drawing. That was the courses that were handed Ooh. to me my first year when I came out of college. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> we just spent all this time doing like learning CAD and computer aided drawing. So like, why are we doing this? So I immediately was like, this is interesting. I feel like this is super outdated, but I did get to teach in a pretty rural spot in New Jersey high school for a couple of years. And then I went back to school and got a master's in instructional technology at UVA and was like, yeah, kind of recruited, I suppose. Um, I found a really great just person who had really nice vision in, in Charlottesville and then started teaching middle school, creative design, engineering. We built a integrated mechatronics program with eighth grade science and hit some of the SOLs with this like double class, which was cool. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it was really fun. And, and, you know, we did, we did a lot of stuff with like automation with like Arduinos and 3d printers were like, just like booming at that point, like the MakerBot 2 had just come out. So we had to just mm -hmm. kind of dove into that space head first. And, uh, you know, we got, we got some hand tools, we got a laser cutter and we just started going for it. So that was really cool. And then I moved to another high school in the area and uh, same thing, but just kind of on a deeper level. I was personally, as an educator, I, I, I wanted to get a little more deeper in the content. I wanted to teach skills in middle school. It was like, oh my God, like see a kid. Hi, bye. Ooh, well, we had 30 yeah. kids in the classroom. Like the classes were popular, but because there's so many kids, it was so fast. It was hard to go mm -hmm. deep. So I enjoyed that. Then I taught then I went to high school, did similar stuff. I taught computer science. I taught engineering, some design courses. And we had like elements of woodworking. I had a full wood shop and, and some welding equipment mixed with all the advanced manufacturing stuff like laser cutters and um, 3D printers. And then I also taught like AP computer science and computer science one and two. Like it was, it was a cool mix of things. And it was neat to see a lot of those pieces kind of come together and overlap. And then I got a call one day and, uh, moved out to the community college in the area for an electronics job, which I just, just loved. And I taught mostly CNC machining, industrial manufacturing and, and electronics and design and some coding classes and sort of that, that integration of, of those pieces. So it was like just a natural fit. And it's like more of a skill-based area than theory, which I like theory, but sometimes I just like taking stuff apart and figuring out how it works without knowing anything. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What a cool journey. And it sounds like only some of the things that you went on to teach were covered in the initial program that you took. Like you, when you talked about studying to be kind of a technology teacher, were there intensive computer science classes in that? Because to go from that to teaching CSP, that's a big, or were you self-taught? Like where did, where did that come from? Yeah, that's a great question. No, we did not touch programming at all in my undergraduate or graduate program. I have personally been a big fan of computers. I was lucky as a kid, my dad would fix the company computers and he would bring them home and we'd take them apart and we'd play with them and make games. So I, I was really lucky to have access at a young age. 
and my dad was interested in it. So that was kind of cool. So I've always had that thread and really like the affordances of what computing can do. So it kind of was a natural fit to like, be like, well, if I want to continue in technology, I have to learn how to program. Like there's just so much you can do. So, you know, like even learning how to, how to change firmware on a 3d printer. I was like, Oh, like you just need to know how to do a little programming, how to make a website, like got to know a little programming. So I think over time, it's just sort of built into my interests and it's enhanced all of the other skills that I've, I've learned, you know, so that's the easiest way I think I can say that, but I, I've taken courses in the past, but what's really helped me learn is finding something I want to do and then figuring out how to make that happen and just kind of persevering. Yeah, I think that's a, that's always an excellent way to go is find some project you're already interested in and then use that as your own hook, as it were. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) So our podcast is, you know, we see it's a, we're looking at the intersection of technology and literacy. What do you think technology literacy means to you? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think there's, well, to me, I'm trying to separate being literate in technology and also like literacy and technology. I guess my question is, yeah, are you talking about technology and literacy intersection? Or are you talking about like technology literacy or am I now answering your question in a weird way? No, the answer to that is yes. Okay. <laughs> are we talking about one or the other? The answer is yeah. yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I could try to briefly answer both. To, to me, being technologically literate, yeah, speaking of the word literate, it makes me feel like I don't know enough about something in grade school. Like, you're not literate, which... Uh, oh, what a know, bummer I, connotation I that is. Oh, no. so I, feel, I feel like the more it's like the troubleshooting mentality, to be honest. Like, if you're able to look at a problem and figure out the tools you need to solve that and you're able to like, and you have like an internal ability to like research, change your idea, come up with a solution, test out your solution, bring that back to your research. And like, if you can do that almost like logically and as like a mental skill, I feel like that is what is most important. I feel like over time, that's what I've built is the ability to like solve problems very quickly, but because I've screwed up a thousand times before that. And then I'm like, oh, I know this. I mean, that's the best part of that teaching is like the kids do all the screwing up around you. That sounds terrible, but you know, they make mistakes and they're learning (laughs) and like, that's part of learning. And then you're like, oh, I didn't even think that I would have never thought about that problem. And then you got to figure out how to solve it. So like, I'm like forced to like, you know, run around and solve all these problems. So to me, that's sort of like being literate with the technology skills. I don't care about the specific tech. I feel like the literacy can be placed on what tech you're learning. In terms of literacy and tech, you know, that's really tricky because I think people, um, you know, I don't know, in the education world, reading is such a like important thing, especially I'm learning in like elementary education, like reading is very protected. But I do think that there is a way to understand kind of with the same process, like reading, like we could break down reading into, you know, a skill and be able to, to, to learn that. But, you know, I don't know, there is a ton of tech out there that relates to learning how to read or learning Mm -hmm. literacy. That's like really fantastic. And we did these like choose your own adventure games to learn Python back in the day, I think, I think it was Python. And Kim and I taught a class like that too. Oh my God. It was so much fun. And and like, I didn't even realize, but like, that was like them figuring out how to do all that stuff was like 
it was total like learning how to use sentence structure and like talking oh, to yeah. people and creating a story. And I was like, whoa, you know, and that's not my training, you know? So, yeah. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of ways to look at it. I'm not sure I answered your question. Well, you defined literacy early on as like seeing a problem, having a set of skills and like a toolbox to solve that problem. And then kind of rooting through the tools and skills that you have to find which one would fit best. And it's interesting because you described that as literacy in technology. That's also just old school literacy. Like we teach, <laughs> we teach students all of these different skills. Like we're, when we're going through phonics and we're talking to them about like reading the picture on the page to try to guess what the word is and like finger tapping and syllable counting. Those are all just strategies that they keep in their toolbox. Sight words, that's a skill set. You know, literacy and technology literacy, it's all having your toolbox and being able to solve the problem that's in front of you, whether it's a word that you don't know or a sentence structure that you're not familiar with or a paragraph that you don't know how to edit or woodworking. Like it's all the same <laughs> yeah. literacy. You just, the more things you become literate in technology literacy, invention literacy, you know, those, the bigger your toolbox gets. And I yeah. think tools overlap and skills overlap more than people like to give them credit for because we sometimes keep our subjects very siloed. But I would argue that learning to read and learning to program an Arduino have more in common than we want to admit. Yes. yes. And, that, and that's is nodding we, really big. I, know, I don't like, know. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, that's what we want. <laughs> <laughs> Make those connections. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and it's interesting. I don't know how to break down those silos as much it's always there's always one teacher that you could like pull from and they they're like this is so cool this makes total sense but getting the bigger population is it's tricky that's yeah. tricky well that leads nicely into my next question what are some issues <laughs> you see in education especially related to stem what are some of the issues uh-huh yeah i mean i'm gonna I'm going to take the easy hook, uh, Kim. I mean, equity is the biggest problem I see. Mm-hmm. I mean, just even my story, like, you know, I, I, I'm a white middle-class grown man and my dad was able to access a computer at the job he was at and bring it home for us to play with. Like that was so rare at that time. So, you know, I, I recognize that, that privilege in, in my growing up and it, and it gave me an advantage to have a dad who was an engineer, you know, say like, let's learn computing uh, and, and let's find that interesting. Uh, it was an advantage to have, you know, tools at my disposal when I was a kid and have someone say, it's okay to safely use tools. I'll hang out with you. Like I had a dad there, you know, so that I recognize in, in sort of my, my existence. And then now seeing, I don't even know how many students, but you know, like basically a lot of personality types, a lot of backgrounds, a lot of life experiences. And it's like, you know, uh, kids in the same class, in the same age, in the same area are like polar opposites. Someone's like, oh, I have this at home and uh, I've already messed with this before. Can I do something a little more complicated? And then in the same class, I have a kid who's like not showing up and I'm like, what's Mm -hmm. going on there? This should be a fun, interesting class. And they're like, nah. So it's like, and then everything in between, right? So to me, that is the biggest problem. I I won't go down a political landscape with that, but I will say, you know, just in my experience teaching, trying to figure out different ways to hook students in terms of even just classroom culture is like one of the number one pieces in changing the landscape of, of at least a classroom. I found it difficult to 
change whole schools, which is why I'm going back to school right now myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I really, really think from a teacher perspective, you can make a pretty significant change. And if it's at least in your classroom, at least you're providing that example of like, hey, we can all do this and I can meet you all where you're at. Um, I don't think it's impossible. And there's, you know, in terms of technology, STEM, you know, there's a big shift in, in industry. And like when I was working in the community colleges, we were trying to access a lot of the you know, uh, uh, like the Lat- Latina, Latinx, Latin population in like this, this area in town. And it was hard because of all of the barriers to just getting admitted into a community college with mm. those certain social circumstances. And it was like, oh my God, we should just be able to walk in the door. How come this person can just have their, you know, mom sign them up for class? They're in, they're paid for, they're done. And I'm spending a year trying to like convince someone this is probably a good idea. And I've got people on the inside who are like, no, no, really, like we could change how things are. And then they're like, do we want to change how things are? And I'm like, it can get crazy pretty fast. But, you know, I don't know. I I live in south of town. And on the flip side of that, like there's no cell service. There's no internet in some areas. And now we're like asking kids to learn technology as part of their regular day, let alone try to jump into a STEM field. Like that's hard to do without the internet. I I would go crazy. Like my brain is like, oh, if if I find something interesting, like I'm right on the internet trying to see what other people have done, what, you know, what's possible. And if you don't have that access, like you're, you're already at a huge disadvantage to the world of information. So I, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of facets of that that I think societally can seemingly be adjusted, but there's a lot of barriers. And I know you say you don't want to get political, but like anyone who's listened to this podcast more than once (laughs) knows teaching is a political act. And we talk about that all the time. Teaching is the most political act, raising the next generations of leaders and citizens. Like it doesn't get more political than that. And every single thing that we've mentioned, equity, access, internet, like access to college, it, it's all yeah. incredibly, unfortunately, incredibly political. These things that should probably be something that every human should have a right to, they have to earn in a weird way that feels icky. Yeah, I'm sure there's a more professional way to say that, but icky was what happened. <laughs> when yeah, I and, started and, talking. Well, what's interesting is like understanding that and finally understanding the system I'm spending my time trying to navigate the system for a student rather than teaching them so they're even they're still losing a little bit and like I'm like spending a ton of time doing paperwork and guiding the right people and trying to make sure that they're successful quote unquote you know and that that detracts from the learning experience that another student can just walk in and have so you mentioned one of the reasons you're now in the PhD program And uh, just wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that decision and what you're excited about doing in the program. And I know it's just started. So yeah, there's probably a lot of unknowns there. Yeah, I definitely have my, I definitely have ideas based on experience. You know, I'll say that the catalyst for me was really finding the right people. I'm mostly an introvert and I'm pretty good at pretending to be an extrovert, I guess. But I, you know, I like to, I like to go in the basement, build my projects, <laughs> do my thing. But I, but I love interacting with you know brilliant people like like both of you, and I, I wanted more of that. I found myself hitting a lot of these these equity roadblocks at my last few jobs. I found myself hitting a lot of like 
STEM or, or technology, especially, um, it gets put on the back burner as a priority, but yet it gets marketed as like priority. So I'm like confused, right? I'm like, I'm fighting for a budget. I'm trying to make sure that like students get the stuff that they need. I'm trying to make sure I do stuff that's relevant to industry and not 10 years old. And like, it's a lot. And for me to like go out and find professional development so I can stay relevant to interface with companies, to make sure my shop is safe. Like there are so many facets that is not the same as teaching yet administration doesn't come from this world and has a hard time understanding that. So it's like a constant battle of like, look, you want kids to take computer science engineering because it's the buzzwords. That's fine, but you got to support me and I'll do it well. And, and I think that's difficult. Recruiting for these teachers is nearly impossible. There is not enough pathways to make teachers that can successfully teach computer science, that can successfully teach technology education. The programs are dying nationally just based on lack of interest. We have too many history teachers, and then we have no technology teachers. You know, in the current landscape, just in Virginia, I am very well aware of how many qualified tech ed teachers are in tech ed positions and it's not 100%. Um, so it's, it's tricky. And then those programs die because there's teachers that don't know what to do or don't know how to handle them. You know, I was lucky to be trained in that area. And, and then, if you are, uh, yeah, sorry. yeah, go. <laughs> I just wanted to rant because we do have people who would be qualified to be technology teachers and would be incredible technology teachers, but it is so difficult to be a teacher and the pay is so low and the work is so hard and everyone is treated so poorly. That if you have the skill set to either teach technology or work in technology and make twice as much working half as hard, you're not going to go into teaching. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so I took a bunch of engineering classes and like my engineering friends would be like, why are you doing that? You know, like, why would you go teach? Like, I'm going to walk out of here with like 70K job just do knowing nothing. And I'm like, mm -hmm. hopeful to make 40K. <laughs> you know, with a degree, like in a specialized field. And I, no offense to some engineering programs, but like I could do some stuff, like I could make things and they just know math really well. And I'm like, what the heck is, what is going on here? You know? And <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. I mean, you gotta be passionate to teach, but I think there's a caveat there not to totally disagree, Sarah. There's a lot of people in industry that have the skills. They don't have the teaching practice. Yeah. So there are people true. who, are engineers that are brilliant, but when you put them in front of a class of students, they can't translate their brain to another human. And I've noticed that as well. So there's got to be some way to bridge that gap for sure. It's, it's very tricky, but yeah, and I don't know how to solve that. I mean, that's a bigger issue of like bringing the education up to a higher playing field so that our society appreciates it. Yet we all need it and every industry relies on it. It's, it is so backwards, but you know, I don't know, especially in, in tech, it's not, it's not a priority in terms of budgeting. It's not a priority in terms of like student learning. It's not required SOLs, like, you know, which is not, I'm not saying required SOLs makes a difference, but it sure pushes people. <laughs> it shapes what's taught. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe the three of us can change it. I feel like there are <laughs> the three of us, like we've got three people that are really pushing from that I guess I'm on the outside. I guess we're all kind of on the outside pushing. I don't know. Talk to us in 10 I'm, years. I'm with it. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> we're doing it. Let's go. <laughs> today starts today. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, it, it's not easy. I, I will say like there is there, you know, like most teachers, I'm not saying one subject is better or more necessary than another. Just my experience from being in tech. It's not the, it's not the focal point, but you know, there was days where I was really burnt out and I didn't have another teacher to talk to because I was the solo tech person, you know, yeah. and it's just a different thing. Like I don't have a group of history teachers to commiserate with. It's just a little different, I think. Yeah, I think that's one thing I'm excited about with working with you and our design lab and trying to help build that community. Yeah. So we can have more places where people who are willing to try things out, they have a community to help back them up. That's so funny. We So we were teaching a pre-service teacher class today and one of the students was like, we did computational thinking as like a real, real short introduction, right? And uh, And she was like, now, I know I'm getting a different degree, but like, could I teach computer science? Because this is really cool. And I was like, yeah, you can get your degree and then just take the computer science practice and you're good. And I yeah. guarantee you'll get a job. And we need you. So please do you. it. Yes, please do it. You're going to be great. I mean, and she was like excited she could even do it. Like, oh, that's possible, really? Yes, please go, go, go. Maybe we just need better branding. Like who's working in the marketing for computer science teachers? Can we please get some better? Well, that, that, that has been a historical issue as well. Is um, yeah. it's, it's like an uphill battle for sure. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, you know, and I found it sometimes difficult to reach the right people as a teacher. Like that's one of my issues. It's like at the end of the day, I'm exhausted, but I want to make this big change. Do I have time to do it? Is anyone going to listen to what I have to say as a teacher? You know, so I always have those like internal things. And I've tried to write like white papers, send them out to, you know, the state capital and like, hey, guys, let's try something. And like, it doesn't go anywhere. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of bureaucracy. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm hoping to hoping to help make some of that change, you know, with you guys. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, let's end on a hopeful note. What are you looking forward to in your what is it? Four years? next four years of your PhD program? Yeah, well, I got to say, I am loving working with everybody in the lab and, and our research group. It has been so much fun. I'm loving meeting new people. Like, I just love meeting people that are so smart and cool and like have interesting things going on. I'm like, whoa, you know, I'm like finding all these new little worlds, um, which I love. And I mean, most of all, what's important to me and why I have either move jobs or tried new things is like, I just love learning and I want other people to love learning too. And not forget, like, that's almost like the most core component of being a human being, I think is like learning new things and like progressing in your abilities to like interface with the world and whether that's technology or not, I think that's so important. So I'm hopeful to just like learn this whole new skill set, learn how to like, you know, do some research appropriately. And then like, use that to make, help make like these bigger changes that I think are really important and, and help people, you know? I love it. You're going to do big things. Yay. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> and I know Kim said that was the last question, but I have one more. Yeah. I see here that you are a 3D printer expert and Kim and I have each spent <laughs> years of our careers yeah. attempting to like coddle grumpy 3d printers into like spitting something that looks roughly like a student's cat design so please yes. what are your best tips for 3d printers that just don't want to work <laughs> yeah i mean this yeah this gets back on like the, the years of troubleshooting i have definitely spent my fair share of hours like why is this not working <laughs> yeah. i mean it's like 
you know, it's print. The, the hard thing is it's printer specific, but I, I think if you're using filament, make sure it's like in a box that's not able to reach humidity. That's like a huge mm, thing. Okay. And you can put them in like, I get those sealed containers with desiccants. So like PLA, especially like just changes with humidity drastically and will not extrude properly making sure your slicer is doing exactly what you want. So the software side is really important. I really like the, it's an open source program called Slicer, but it's a three at the end. It's a great piece of software. Prusa uses that, a, a derivative of that. And then like, you know, playing with your temperatures and your heights of your nozzle to the bed, that's super important to make sure. And every plastic is a slightly different height from the bed. A nozzle clogging is, is pretty, pretty huge and taking them apart and putting them back together. Every time you do that, you're kind of moving things a little bit. So there's some tools where you can actually pop the, the nozzle off. But what I've started doing is buying these silicon socks that fit over the whole entire nozzle. So plastic can't build up if you do have a failed print. And the more plastic that burns and builds up on the nozzle, it tends to attract more and changes the heat near the print. So that's helped actually tremendously. And oh, I just, cool. keep, I try to keep them clean. And depending on the bearing types, like, if they're metal bearings, I make sure they're greased. I make sure belts are tight. I don't know. I could go down the rabbit hole of 3D printer stuff, but it's, it is, I it's mean, a lot. It's a complicated machine. Yeah. That's a whole like class that you could teach, <laughs> like how, how to make a 3D printer work. Yeah. I would I, take I'll it. Say, I would like to enroll. I would, I would do it. Yeah. That would actually be kind of fun. I, I actually have found a lot of fun success. I love this program called Open SCAD. I don't know if you guys have messed with that, but it's like programmatic CAD. It's open source and it's all text-based, but it makes your 3D models. And it's really fun to just make a parametric model 3D print. But I'll say I have lost a few teachers on 3D printing and then I've become like the tech support for them to keep them going. But like there is a drive to like get through some of those basic troubleshooting and maintenance things. As with any tool and machine, I think like, once you sort of understand how the tool works and you know, like what things to look for, maintain and troubleshoot, it becomes a little easier with time, but like, it just takes that initial kind of getting over the hump to, to get there. But I think that's true for all, you know, tools and, and things that you're, you know, trying to learn. We've talked about this before, but getting a tool that also has a community and resources behind it is really important. And at least in the 3D printing area, because they're so expensive, we often inherited, Yes, <laughs> you know, these things. And so you don't yeah. have that. And so that, that's another thing that would be helpful. What, one of my hobbies is collecting old, like old machinery and rebuilding it. And I have, as a result, some really neat pieces of like historical machinery at home. But the same thing is true. Like I'll be like, they'll be like missing a bolt. And I'm like, there's definitely supposed to be a bolt there, I think. And then I can't find the manual online. And like, so I totally, <laughs> totally understand that. And then I'm like, uh-oh, should I have bought this thing? <laughs> Can I just get like, put like a pipe cleaner in there? Or <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's like a used car. You're like, I don't really know how it was driven or how many car accidents it had, but I hope it's good. Like, yeah, it seems yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, it seems fine. Well, Eric, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate what you guys are doing. Thanks for getting some cool stuff out there to people. Absolutely. We'll share everything we can. And thank you so much for your time. Oh, yeah. Thank you, guys. I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Until next time. Tech, love, and happiness.